The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. This Sunday, we focus our attention in what we're calling the gospel anticipated from Luke 18. It is my prayer for you as we're about to read and enter into this message that you won't just take this as something you already know. That God will deepen your understanding of the gospel and that you're going to be prompted that this gospel must be rejoiced in and it must be shared. So Luke 18, please stand as I read the word of the Lord. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Let's pray. Lord, we confess now that this reading of your word is read in light of the whole of the New Testament. We now see and know what you have accomplished and what you have done and the implications of this event. So Lord, as we, as we bring our hearts and minds to this moment in time, as you went up to Jerusalem, encourage our hearts cause us to think deeper about the gospel and lead us to rejoicing and believing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So here's, here's, here's what's driving me today. Here's what we want to see in this text, that Jesus Christ clearly and willingly gave himself up to the work of redemption. What I'm saying is this, what, what happened to Jesus was not an accident. Things did not get out of control for Christ, beyond his control. What we witness in the gospels, Jesus clearly and willingly gave himself to. Now the context of Luke 18, if you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, you'll see that the section above you, if, if, if it's labeled, says the rich young ruler. And here's what happened. A young man, a rich young man came to Jesus and he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? An interchange went on between them to where Jesus said, sell everything you have, distribute it to the poor and come follow me. Now that's the core issue. Come follow me. The young man made a dire decision. He said, my riches are more important than you. So he went away. The disciples come to Jesus and say, what about us? We've left everything. We left everything to follow you. How, how about us? To which Jesus responds in verse 29, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now that's the truth. 
But then verse 31, and taking the 12, he said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. Here's what Jesus is saying. Brothers, I hear you, but I'm the one who's left everything. I am the one who has stepped into time. I am the word who was with God, who was God. I am God. I am the word become flesh. So what we see here is that Jesus is deliberate. He's calculated. He is intentional. Luke 9, 51 says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is to Jerusalem, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's resolute. See, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. So they got to ask the question, why? Why are they going up to Jerusalem? They thought it was obvious. They're, they're going up to Jerusalem because of the Passover. The followers or the, those who practice Judaism at this time of year made a pilgrimage. They went in mass to the holy city to worship God and to make an offering for sin. Multitudes of them went up. I've physically been to Jerusalem more than once. From any direction you approach it, you have to go up. Jerusalem's on the top of a mountain. You have to go up to get to Jerusalem. And there, there wasn't modern roads or ways to get there. You had to walk or you rode some kind of animal to get there. And you think of all these throngs of people, thousands and thousands of people making their way up each year at the Passover. As they would come up the mountains, they would sing. And there's a section of the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. So as they would go together, they would encourage one another as they sang together. So I want you to, if you would, hold your place in Luke and go to Psalm 130. These Psalms of Ascent are in 120s and 130s. Now I want you to use your imagination with me, okay? I can't say this happened for sure. So I'm, I'm imagining. I know they sang the Psalms of Ascent as Jesus went up, but this is what I'm imagining. I'm imagining when they get to Psalm 130, Jesus' voice rising above the multitudes as he sang. Or this is the thought I had all week, <laughs> that whenever there was a pause, I can hear the voice of Jesus rising to the crowd is again, he's saying, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word. I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
Can you hear his resolute heart with that last refrain? And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see, friends, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to accomplish what the prophets declared. Verse 31, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And I'd underline these things in your Bible. And everything, everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus appeals now to the declaration of the prophets. He reminds and instructs the 12 that the Bible is clearly spoken about what will be accomplished by the Son of Man. The word accomplished means finished, completed. Sound familiar? What's the words Jesus? It's actually one word. What's the word Jesus uses on the cross to tell us that? It is what? Jesus says here, it will be. It will be finished. He says, the son of man is going to do this. Now, who's the son of man? Again, hold your place. I'm going to go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. It's toward the middle of your Bible, a little past. Getting more toward the New Testament. Here's what it says. I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven. And there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him. And to him, that is the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus here is referring to himself as the son of man. But wait a minute. He's from Nazareth. Now, I was back up at home yesterday for a wedding. This would be like saying, you're from Brookford. You ever heard of Brookford? Anybody in this room know where Brookford's at? Oh, there's a couple of you. It's, it's a pretty little insignificant mill town. Nazareth was an insignificant little place. So when he says he's the son of man, how, how can this be? How can he be the one, Daniel chapter seven, now, the Jews were looking for this one. They were looking for the son of man. They were looking for the conqueror who was gonna sweep in and make everything right and put Rome in its place. But Jesus understood all of the prophets. He didn't just understand Daniel. He didn't just single out this one text. He saw all of what the prophets had said and that all of what the prophets had said were speaking to him. I'm just going to quote these verses. These are just two examples. We don't have enough time. I could preach an entire sermon. We could be here for hours and go over what the prophets said. Here's one, Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Jeremiah eleven nineteen. here's what it says. But I was like a gentle lamb led to slaughter. You see, Jesus understood that he was the son of man, that he would be the exalted son of man, but he understood that he would first be the humiliated son of man. 
You see, he had already humbled himself and took on the likeness of men. But he would further humble himself and be obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Like a gentle lamb, he says, it says in Jeremiah, led to slaughter. So let's go back to our imagination for a minute. There are throngs of people making their way up the mountain. They're singing. But there's another noise. It's unmistakable. It's the bleeding of lambs. Thousands of them. You see, on the way to Jerusalem, people took their offering. Spotless lambs. One after another, after another, would be sacrificed during the week of Passover. And among them, among them, is the Son of Man. The gentle lamb being led to slaughter. Slaughter. You see, friends, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem fully anticipating the horror that awaits him. He says, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Jesus knows what must be fulfilled. Jesus knows what is and what is to be. He is fully God and he is fully man. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14 as we look to other places in the gospels to find the explanation of what actually transpires. Mark 14 verse 43 This is right after Jesus prays in the garden. It says, and immediately he was still speaking. Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And now the betrayer had given them a signal saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came up to him at once, he said, Rabbi. And he kissed him and they laid hands on him and seized him. Now this is the temple guard. This is a small military band under the control of the council, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of Jerusalem. They seized Jesus. Luke tells us in chapter 23, verses 63 to 65, I'm not going to turn over there. He tells us that uh, they take him and before the tribunal, before the council, they beat him, mock him, then in four, chapter 14, verse 61, we have recorded, I'm picking up midstream, of Jesus before the council. They make accusations at him. It says in verse 61, he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now Jesus speaks. Now watch this. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see who? the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, hey, Caiaphas, you remember Daniel chapter seven? That's me. Well, this didn't go over well. 
The high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? That the blasphemy is this. He's saying, Jesus just said he is God. He is. But they consider that blasphemous. And it says, they all, the whole council, condemned him as, this is very important, you see this detail, deserving death. The Sanhedrin did not have the authority to condemn Jesus to death. They are now under Roman rule and they need the Romans to take care of this. And before they send him off, they spit on him, cover his face and strike him, saying to him, prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. So they deliver him to the Gentiles. That's in the text, verse 32. Be delivered over to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles can carry out the death penalty so that they could kill him. Now I'm in Matthew 27. I'm working my way back left. So here's what happens. They send him to Pilate. Pilate sends him over to Herod. He tries to get it off on Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate does not want to do this. But he's a politician, so you can hear the politics here. Watch this. When Pilate saw he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Now, what, I, what next is, I think, is, is one of the most chilling verses in the New Testament. This is the people of Israel, the ones who have awaited the Messiah. And I want you to hear the refrain from the crowd. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So don't wonder for a moment that about 30 years later, Jerusalem is destroyed. His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. In verse 33, it says, after flogging him, flogging and scourging are the same horrific event. Now I know that there are popular movies out and movies that have depicted this moment. Let me just simply say to you that the scourging, the flogging that Jesus took was torture delivered at the hands of trained men who use specific weapons to inflict maximum pain. This was not like any whipping any of us in this room have ever had. Many died as a result of a Roman scourging. It certainly was used to hasten death on what was even more horrific, a Roman cross. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Next Sunday, we'll think more clearly about what happened on the cross, both physically and spiritually. Let me simply say at this moment, as horrible as the Roman crucifixion was for Jesus. The greatest horror on that Friday afternoon was the cup 
that Jesus drank for us. It was the cup in the garden he prayed, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. It was the cup of the wrath of God. So when Thursday night we will gather, Monday means command, we will gather to do what Jesus has commanded, to remember. And my brief sermon on Thursday night will be the cup he drank. It will be no light thing for us to put a cup to our mouths as we remember what Jesus drank for us. You see, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to give himself as the offering for sin. They will kill him. This is a quote. Going up to Jerusalem must be understood as having reference not only to physical ascent, it's more than that. It must be interpreted as a matter not just pertaining to the feet of Jesus, but also to his heart. And Jerusalem was God's temple. God's people made their way to Jerusalem to worship. This included bringing an offering. Jesus is now going up to Jerusalem to bring himself as the offering for the sin of the world. This is not a new idea. From the beginning of his public ministry, John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's more than that. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before the coming of the Messiah and told us very specifically what he was going to do and what was going to happen. I'm in Isaiah 53, which is the growth group meditation for this week. I'm just reading verse six and verses nine and 10. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It means we're all sinners. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and Christ paid for all of our sin. Verse nine, he dies and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, though he didn't deserve the death. Verse 10, even though he didn't deserve it, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when he makes an offering for guilt. Why would Jesus do this? Here's why. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now it's vague there. It's mysterious. But what that's pointing to, friends, is the resurrection. You see, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem knowing that he will rise again that on the third day he will rise. The passion, Leon Morris says, the passion is not a defeat, but a victory. Today's Palm Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Then we know the events transpire that we've already discussed of how he's arrested and beaten and crucified. It appears less than triumphal. Friends, Jesus knew 
that he entered Jerusalem for a very specific reason. He received the triumphal entry because he knew that he was going to conquer sin and death. Now turn with me to Acts chapter two. This is the first New Testament or uh, first sermon of the New Testament church recorded. Peter stands and what he preaches is a victory sermon. Men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you with God by mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Now let's just pause right there. Folks, if, if, if anything hadn't said on you yet, I pray that it does at this moment. That what happened to Jesus was the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. God was completely and utterly in control. It is his plan, Ephesians chapter one, before the foundation of the world of what he would accomplish on our behalf. However, however, it does not take away from human responsibility because watch the very next words. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Then this victory phrase, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What's it? Death. He goes on to quote from David, a prophecy. Then he makes the application to say, this isn't talking about David because David's still in the grave. Now I'm over in verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up. He didn't raise up David, he raised up Jesus. And we are all witnesses being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out that this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here's the question I have. How do we know that God has made him both Lord and Christ? What's the answer? the resurrection. The resurrection and the cross are the defining marks of the Christian faith. Our faith swings on the hinge of the cross and the resurrection. If there is no cross and there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. Here's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Our faith does not rest on what we can do for God. Our faith rests on and proceeds from what Christ alone has done for us. So what then? The first crucial question is, am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation? I 
I pray in no way I will belittle anybody that you invite next Sunday, but I want you to hear the tension that we all will share next Sunday as hundreds of people will come to this church and many others because it's Easter. And here's gonna be the subtle thing in many of their minds, not all of them. Here's the subtle thing in their minds that they've earned God's favor because they came to church on Easter. On the very day that we celebrate what Christ has done, some will blaspheme his name by thinking something they did earned their favor with God. Listen to what it says in verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Why? Because here's what these Jewish background people came to comprehend. There's nothing we can do. So they cry out, brothers, what shall we do? To which Peter responds, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So I say to you this day, if you're in this place and whether you were convinced you were a Christian or you knew that you weren't before you got here today and God has been penetrating your heart, he's been piercing your heart. It's as if, as if it says here in verse 39 that God is calling you to himself. Then here's the appeal to you today. Repent of your sin. That means you've got to acknowledge that it is because of your sin Christ went to the cross and that on the cross he bore your sin and that you're saying before God, I repent, I turn away from sin and I turn to trust in what Christ alone has accomplished for me on the cross and through the resurrection. He is Lord and Savior. I believe There's not an absolute perfect phrase that you need to say. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you need to believe in what Christ has done on your behalf in the cross and through the resurrection. By faith, by nothing you do, you trust in him. Now to the unbeliever, I call to you and to the believer, aren't you glad of the phrase, all who are far off? Because that was me. That was you. And when Christ became plain to you through the working of the Holy Spirit, you believed. Believe this day. Now, I have one more question. One more question. Am I anticipating the fulfillment of the gospel? Now, I dare say that question is probably tripping some people. You're going, wait, 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 wait a minute. It is finished. The work of redemption is finished. The work of the gospel is not finished. Listen, friends. I hesitate to use the word real in front of it, but the real triumphal entry hadn't happened yet. All right. There's, there's one more major event of the gospel to come. It's Daniel chapter seven. I'll refresh you with it. I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds 
with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now with that in our mind, we come to Revelation chapter one, verse seven. Behold, the same word Jesus started with. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. Behold, see, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. I just, you got to pause right there and think about Jesus' words to Caiaphas. You will see the son of man. Even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So let me make one more appeal here to those in this room or those listening to me online who have not yet repented their sin and trusted in Christ. Don't miss that phrase about what the nations of the earth are gonna do. They're gonna wail. Because here's gonna be the stark reality on that day. It's too late to repent. Too late. By God's grace today, you have sat under the preaching of the gospel. It's not been a perfect sermon in any way, shape, fashion, or form. But what is perfect in the midst of it is the gospel of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Because friend, if you're not paying attention to the world, the level of anticipation of God's people should be rising every day. Come Lord Jesus, come. I long to see the next triumphal entry. Because the one whom we will see, it's gonna be obvious he was the lamb who was slain, but written on his side are gonna be king of kings and lord of lords. When he comes again, he will not suffer again. He will reign forever and forever. So, as we come to the conclusion of this message before I pray. If you have a desire to trust in Christ or if you have need for prayer, Pastor Matt pointed out a connection card earlier. I'd invite you to use that to communicate with us. On the backside of it from your information are places that you can tell us things or ask us things or share with things. There's a blank place if there's something you particularly wanna tell us. But if you wanna know what it means to follow Christ, if you need prayer, you can place that in the offering plate. You can come share with a pastor who's gonna be standing here during this response time. Or, and I would love for you to do this, to come to the Connect area and talk with me personally. I also invite all who are new to Parkwood, if I've never met you, please come by and introduce yourself. Ladies, please know this. There's something that we've addressed and I'm gonna to try to continue to remind you. We have a trained woman with us at the Connect area to speak personally with women if you're not comfortable talking to a pastor, a man. Now, 
Brothers and sisters, let us sing a song of ascent. As we go up, there is no merit in us. God is not proud of us and what we do. As we go up, we sing with Jesus the song of redemption. And here's the song of ascent we're going to sing this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. I don't bring anything to God. Nothing. I don't take an offering to heaven. I don't take an offering up to Jerusalem. The offering has already been paid. I go up because of Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, now as your people sing, draw all men and women in this room to yourself. I pray for repentance and salvation. I pray for joy. I pray for worship and rejoicing for you alone deserve it. And we say to you, even as we sing, come Lord Jesus, come. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.